Good morning. Our word of God for today comes from Acts 2, 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this space this morning, and we ask for your help to help us uh, shed those things that we've brought in with us today that could be distracting or keep us from hearing your voice. Holy Spirit, we desire to know you more. We desire for you to change us from the inside out, and we desire to follow you wherever you lead in your son's name that I pray. Amen. So good morning. Um, as Jim stated, I'm Christy Timmons. I come from uh, River Tree Canal Fulton. We have a small church that meets in a huge gym. Uh, we're right down the street from Peace, Love, and Little Donuts, if you're familiar with that um, delicious morning treat. Um, I'm honored and I'm very excited to be here with you this morning. Um, I met Amy and JR about uh, two years ago. I came um, for one of your Ash Wednesday experiences and met them that day and I've been getting to know them ever since and just actually entered into a mentor relationship with M Amy uh, to fulfill a requirement for my master's degree. Um, and I am overwhelmed <laughs> with the gift that that is just to be able to learn and grow from her, her experiences, and her wisdom. Um, it's just a huge, huge gift. So a little bit about me. Um, I came to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior about 11 years ago, and then five years later uh, was called into ministry at River Tree Canal Fulton. Prior to that, I worked as a project manager at Bank of America, um, and with that first yes, to uh, quit the bank um, and then enter into a part-time ministry. Um, I'd have to say that many around me thought that I was crazy. Um, it was very unexpected. Um, and since then, there have been many yeses like that, very many uh, wild <laughs> and crazy yeses that I've said to the Lord, um, very much disrupted the status quo uh, for me and for my family. Um, but those were also yeses to going on a wild adventure with the Holy Spirit. And uh, that adventure continues, and he continues to call me into crazy and wild things. Uh, you're all familiar with the saying wild goose chase, correct? Um, the definition of wild goose chase, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is a hopeless search for something that's impossible to find. I was recently given an article by Kathy Sheffer entitled, Why Did Early Christians Call the Holy Spirit Wild Goose? In that article, she states 
that the Holy Spirit was referred to as a wild goose by early Celts because of how similar the two seem. When a goose flies, it seems erratic and crazy, uh, even disruptive, and it's very similar to the way that the Holy Spirit works in us as well. When he works, when he calls us, it doesn't look peaceful like a dove, like we might think it would. It actually looks disruptive and erratic, like a wild goose. He calls us into an adventure. And the reason for this disruptive and wild call is because he is at work restoring what is broken in this world. And to do that, he needs to change us. He needs to disrupt us. And he needs us to leave the status quo behind and follow him wherever his wind blows. Because that is how we get to join Jesus in the work he's doing all around us, restoring this broken world. When the Holy Spirit created the church on the day of Pentecost, which we were just reading about, um, he also disrupted the norm that day. It wasn't peaceful, and it certainly wasn't expected either. The scripture I read tells of the story uh, when the church was created at Pentecost. It's how the Holy Spirit created a united church from a divided people, how he created the church body to further God's kingdom by uniting us and maturing us and making us look more like Jesus. I doubt many of us have experienced a time in our lives when we felt a moment that was so overwhelmingly united like that with a many different people or diverse group of people. But I actually um, had an experience that I think comes somewhat close. I actually used to work in a private uh, club in upstate New York in the town where it was located. The uh, population was 30,000 people in the normal time, but in the summertime, it became 30,000 people because of the tourist attractions there and the lakes and the beauty. And so because of the small number of residents, we actually had to go through a company that would allow um, youth from other countries to come to the United States and work for the summertime. And so one year I got to travel to Warsaw, Poland to do those interviews with those candidates. And while I was there, um, there was a couple who had been in New York the summer prior that met me and took me on a tour of their city. And everything they showed me was awesome. It was so beautiful. The architecture, the food, the music, the culture. But there were also some things that grabbed my attention in a different way. There were buildings with bullet holes in them still. There were walls of buildings that were crumbling from past bombings. And there was a big crater in the middle of town square left over from the war. There was also this amazing artwork everywhere. It was spray painted in the middle of streets and on sides of buildings and in stairwells. Um, and this artwork was sought out. People went on tours of the city looking for this artwork. To them, it seemed amazing and beautiful and it didn't um, seem like graffiti. Instead, it told a story of a beautiful future that was yet to come. But the thing that stuck out me, for me the most when I was visiting was um, this incredible hope that was everywhere that you went. Every person I met had this um, incredible hope in them. And it was like um, 
almost tangible, this unity of hope that was everywhere. It didn't matter if they were young, old, or poor, or rich. This hope you could almost touch. It was so apparent everywhere that you went. And everyone in Poland understands that hope, even if you don't speak the language. And I like to imagine now how welcoming that tangible hope might be today for those people entering Poland from Ukraine. Refugees being adopted into that incredible unity of hope for a future that has not yet come. And I think that that hope that unites everyone in Poland um, seems similar maybe to what was felt that day at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on the believers and united everyone, even those who were different from each other. It's hard for us to understand that kind of unity here um, because we don't have experiences in the United States of that kind of unity. Our, our culture here is more divided than united, especially right now. We're in a moment where there are at least two opposing sides to many major issues, and all of those sides feel passionately that they're right. There's not really any common ground or any healthy conversation. There's no hope to be found in unity among us right now. And although some might assume that because we live in the United States, because we are all in the same country, we're automatically united, um, that's not how it works. Just because we're spatially near one another does not mean that we're actually united. For example, while I was in Poland, um, I came across many different foods that I had never eaten before. But one that is unforgettable was called zemnoski. It literally means cold little feet. It is made with jellied pig or cow feet and this grayish gelatin type stuff and some herbs and some peas and carrots. Uh, all that goodness is in that jelly-shaped bowl there that you see on the, the TV screens. But let me tell you, putting two gross things together does not make them less gross. <laughs> they may be united spatially in that stuff, but they are not united in creating anything better than they were when they were separate. So even though we're here and we're in the same country together and it's called the United States, that doesn't mean that we are united and the same goes for our church body as well. It's possible to come together, attend church together, but not be united. We need the Holy Spirit to do that for us. I imagine all those people at Pentecost from different cultures, people who had hated each other their entire lives, Jews and Gentiles, all gifted the Holy Spirit together for the purpose of continuing the work Jesus started. All of these people came together to create the church and the body of Christ. And that kind of unity amongst that kind of diversity can only be explained by the Holy Spirit. It takes a power like that to do something that awesome. So I've spent a lot of time reading the Pentecost story. It's actually one of my favorites because it's the day that the church was created. Um, that moment when all those people came together to begin the mission of spreading the good news of Christ. But another interesting part of that story for me was the way that Jesus asked the disciples to wait for something that was coming. 
that was important. In Acts 1, 4 and 5, it says, Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but just in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They did not know what was coming. They didn't know really what they were waiting for, but they knew it was important. They trusted it was something that they should be waiting for. But I've wondered why they had to wait in the first place. Like, why didn't Jesus just pour out the Holy Spirit on them when he was there with them? And I think the answer lies in what else was going on at the time. People from all over were traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. I believe the disciples had to wait for those people to arrive because of what was about to happen. In Acts 2, it says all believers gathered in one place. And in Acts 2, 4, it says, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. So I think they had to wait for the people to gather so that the God's gift could be fully given and so that all could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and be united as a church at that time. At that moment, there was major disruption by the Holy Spirit. They had been following leaders of the church by going to temple to worship. But on Pentecost, everything changed. He brought all believers together, gifting them with the Holy Spirit immediately and united them all. In Acts 2, 1 and 4, it says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. In early times, God had divided these same people. At the Tower of Babel, he scattered them to the point where they were even speaking different languages. They could not communicate with each other or understand each other. And now at Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit disrupting things again. And now he is taking what was divided at the Tower of Babel and uniting it. The Holy Spirit even made it so that all could understand the good news that was preached that day, even though they all spoke different languages. The new church was united in every way by the Holy Spirit to carry on the work that Jesus began. The community that developed following the miracle at Pentecost was the utopia that every Christ follower dreams of. I think it's something that we all wish we had in our church bodies where we see a gathering of diverse people unified in their faith in Jesus loving and learning from one another, sharing and serving one another, praying and worshiping together and winning the souls for the kingdom on a regular basis. Unity is critical to the success of our calling to be the church, but so is our diversity. Our uniqueness is perfectly and perfectly planned not to divide us, but to unite us. The Holy Spirit gives each of us specific gifts to serve each other and the body, but all of our gifts put together also make us one. United in the spirit, our differences together make us whole. In 1 Corinthians 12, 
27 to 30, it says, All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First, our apostles. Second, our prophets. Third, our teachers. Then those who do miracles. Those who have the gift of healing. Those who can help others. Those who have the gift of leadership. Those who speak in unknown languages. Are, all, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. We're given diverse gifts by the one spirit for the purpose of lifting up Jesus and building up people. The answers to those questions asked in verses 29 and 30 is no. We don't all have the same gifts. We don't um, all have each other's gifts. We are all given specific gifts because we have one spirit. No one gift makes one person better than the other person or one person more mature than the other person. And we can't take a gift that we want and make it ours either. We can't control what gift we receive. We can't make our gift our own. We each get a specific gift given in order to serve the body and make the body one. Identifying our gifts, passions, and story helps us to join Jesus in the work that he had planned for us long ago. Here in Canton, out in our communities, and your workplaces, and schools, and neighborhoods, and bringing all of those gifts together with all your other believers around you is how whole cities change. It's how revival happens and how the kingdom of heaven will come right here to Canton. When the Holy Spirit gives gifts, he doesn't focus on the quality of the individual person. He focuses on the power of God that's already at work in and through us and in and through the church as a whole. Each of us is unique, not just for the purpose of being unique and different, but for the purpose of being united and different. I absolutely love learning about gifts that people have, identifying them and encouraging them and helping people grow in those gifts and watching them use their gifts perfectly in what God is doing through the church body. But I think sometimes we can place too much focus on our gifts. We often have a strong desire for them. We seek them out. Um, we make the discovering of our gifts the most exciting thing. And knowing how God gifted us gives us confidence. Sometimes we place a lot of focus on learning our gifts and honing them. But although gifts are incredible and they are exciting and important, we have to remember that it's actually the fruit that we produce using those gifts that really matters. Because when we bear the fruit of Jesus, we're practicing the ways of Jesus and reflecting his character. Even though we're given by the Spirit those gifts, they often can be used for worldly purposes because we are human. Galatians 5, 19 to 23 shows the contrast between a life lived in worldly nature and a life that reflects the character of Jesus. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, 
the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, je jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. But let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And there is no law against these things. Have you ever known someone who thinks they know the character of Jesus based on what they've been taught or what they see in the world or what they've experienced in interacting with other Christians? People who believe lies about who Jesus is because of the experiences they've had. What they believe looks a lot different than those fruits of the Spirit. Sometimes they believe that they have to work hard in order to make Jesus happy or proud of them or earn his approval. Or if they believe that they aren't perfect, he will be angry with them or he might punish them in some way. Sometimes they even believe that they can't be loved by him, that there is no love for them because they're not worthy of it. There are many lies people believe about the character of Christ, but we know the truth. We know that Jesus is exactly what Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says. He is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, that is Jesus. The Spirit wants to mature us to be like that so that we can reflect the character of Jesus, not the contradicting fruit of this world. We should want to be overflowing with the spiritual fruit and not just our gifts because we want people to know Jesus, the true character of Jesus. And the thing is that reflecting all of those fruits of the Spirit is impossible without the Holy Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is Jesus and we are human. But the fruit of the Spirit is important to the growth of the kingdom. Fruit trees don't grow fruit for their own benefit. It's not as if trees are picking the fruit off of themselves for their own good. And it's the same for us. The fruit that we produce isn't for our own benefit either. When we reflect spiritual joy, others will be overwhelmed with that joy. When we reflect love, it's to set aside our own preferences and desires and put others first. It's so others see a surprising, overwhelming love of Jesus. And when we bring our worries and concerns to him in prayer, and when we pray for others' concerns, they see a spiritual peace that overwhelms the chaos of the world. They see peace and patience that can only be the result of the Holy Spirit reflecting Jesus out of us. And because of the kindness and goodness that Jesus showed us on the cross, we're able to give away that same kindness and goodness that doesn't make sense, but shows someone who Jesus really is. Do you see why we need the Holy Spirit to mature us? 
It's the only way that we can reflect the character of Jesus because we're human. We need him so that we can have faith even in the pain and tragedy all around us, so that we can offer gentleness through humility, so that we can have the self-control necessary to overcome our sinful nature. You see, the fruit of the Spirit most definitely isn't for our own benefit. It's for others to see who Jesus really is, to experience him through us and the church body as a whole. It's for that last part of Acts 2 that I read earlier, where it said, and each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. When we join Jesus in what he's doing in the people and in the places all around us, the Holy Spirit helps us reflect his character in order to continue the work of Jesus and to further his kingdom. Acts 2, 42 to 47 is the perfect picture of the body of Christ, and we should strive to be just that by devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, by sharing meals together, praying together, sharing everything we have, worshiping and praising God. And then we'll see God add to our fellowship those who are being saved. That isn't the result of what we can do when we try really hard. It's the result of what he does in us to make us look like Jesus. I think uh, we can put forth a lot of effort to be like Jesus. We can try hard to be like him, have strong desire to be like him. We can try even to act like him. We can even reach a moment in our lives where we think we've arrived, where we're actually behaving like Jesus. But the truth is that that will never happen while we're here on earth. He has to continue maturing us throughout our lives. We won't reach the perfection of Jesus while we're still here in our human bodies. When the Holy Spirit changes us, we get to follow him on a wild goose chase. And through our union and gifts and the fruit of the Spirit, Jesus' work continues and the kingdom grows. The brokenness of the world is repaired and restored and heaven comes to earth. All through the body of Christ, the church. What's described in Acts reflects a body of believers living like Jesus in unity for the good of who was around them. It's the picture of how the Holy Spirit changes everything, disrupting the status quo for the good of all to allow God's plan to be accomplished through all of us. I want to look like that. I want to look like Jesus, not this broken world. And I bet you all hope to look like that too. In every encounter, in every interaction, to look like Jesus. We are who he chose to carry on his work. We're diverse in who we are, but united in one spirit for one purpose, for restoring God's creation for the hope of the world. All of us together, joining him for the day heaven comes to earth, and it feels to me like a small piece of that hope that I felt in Poland years ago, that hope for a future that's yet to come. When Jesus returns, which we get closer and closer to as we allow ourselves to be disrupted and look more like him. If we want that, to join Jesus and what he's doing all around us, 
to move his kingdom forward, to see heaven come here to connect, can, Canton, sorry, not Canal Fulton. <laughs> we have to be okay with being uncomfortable and trust the spirit. We have to be ready to go on an adventure with him. We have to want both those gifts that he gives us and also desire the fruit that he can pull out of us. So are we willing to go where the goose calls? Allow him to grow us and mold us to become more like Jesus. I'd like to give you just a moment in silence to think through those questions and to pray for your adventure, to see where he might be calling you, what you might need to take a step towards to join him in an adventure, to even just pray a simple prayer of come, Holy Spirit, come. Take a moment. Holy Spirit, come. Fill this place and fill these people. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, the United Methodist Church has a prayer that they pray on World Communion Sunday. It's so beautiful. It's something that I think we should pray every day. It says, by your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all of the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Lord, we pray this now and always. Unite your church here in Canton and all over the world and continually mature us to look more like you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.